Welcome to the Eat Scripture Podcast. This is Eric and Gina Robinson. Hello. And we are back this morning with another, we're going to talk about topology yep. again. And this one, we're going to talk about Melchizedek, which actually the story that we'll eventually get to is in Genesis 14. Right. But today we're going to talk about where it talks about Melchizedek in Hebrews. Right. And go backward. This will give us a real springboard to use when we move back to our Old Testament and understand there. I think the Hebrew writer is giving us all the clues and the picture for us to go back and see in Genesis. Oh, now I get it. Right. That is, is, when we go to Hebrews, we get this New Testament look at a very strong Old Testament concept, but one that's not everywhere. It's just in this one place in Genesis, chapter 14, that we hear the story of Melchizedek, and then we have him mentioned again one other place when we get to Psalm 110, and then he just kind of, besides that, we're kind of floating out there. What what does all this mean? We don't know hardly anything about him, and so he's a mystery. Yeah. And so the Hebrew writer is telling us why he's in the scriptures. Right. He is really, really exposing what's going on with this character. And that is so important for us. I mean, without this, we would kind of be floating out there wondering what what in the world do I do with a character like this? Um, And wondering what this Genesis reference means. Well, the Hebrew writer is so steeped in Judaism, so steeped in all the concepts Judaism, that he can write extensively and very thoroughly about who this figure is and how he really becomes very much a picture of Christ for us and what Christ has done. Right. And so when we get into Hebrews, I realize this is not the easiest book for a lot of Christians. Well, to read. it's actually, I think because it's like filled with topology. Yes. Yeah. And that's is. all this writer is seeing is just how the Old Testament has come to life. Yes. For yeah. him because right. of Jesus. And he sees all of that. And so he keeps pointing us back, but he's so excited about it that he just can't keep it in. He's just (laughs) going all over the place. Right. So sometimes that's hard to read, but it's so good and so deep. Yeah. And And such a well-crafted letter from start to finish. Everything just connects to everything else. It's very strong line of thought and able to speak to what is obviously a very Jewish audience because the concepts he's using are just steeped and super deep into Judaism. So they do assume that you have read the Old Testament. Yeah, they certainly do. (laughs) So he is putting all of that down. No wonder it gets a little hard to read for us probably as modern American Christians because most of us do not have that kind of depth with a Judaistic thought. And so we read Hebrews and we're like, well, I still, I mean, I kind of get it. That's good. But we still come to these parts like about Melchizedek, where it starts uh, in chapter four, even 14, where we start talking about a high priesthood. Wait a second. What do priests do? What are, what, what does that even Why mean to be a Why is that important to me that yeah. Jesus is my high priest? Exactly. We don't even understand understand necessarily what a priest is. You were the one who had said to me before, I mean, from our Protestant perspective, we might sometimes, some people look at a priest and think, well, I guess that's kind of a preacher with a collar on. Yeah. A preacher with a nice uniform, right? I mean, because we just don't have any experience and so with why what do we it need means that? to be. Yeah. yeah. It's just very confusing for most of us who don't have a lot of Jewish background. Yes. 
or haven't spent a lot of time in the Old Testament. Yes. When you do read your Old Testament, you may still be confused because it still seems like this high priest is just mm-hmm. um, the priesthood in yeah. general. It's just the men who take care of the temple and yeah, sacrifice yeah, I guess the animals. Just, yeah, exactly. For you, that's their job: is taking care of stuff and sacrificing animals. Yeah. The idea behind the priesthood, of course, was that God was getting across this idea that there has to be someone between people and me. We need a mediator. We need a mediator that can go in front of God for me. And in the Old Testament, the high priest, I mean, the priests did that. The priests are the ones who, who were there to help the people come to God's presence, come into God's place and offer sacrifice to him, understand what God required of them. Mm -hmm. They were the go-betweens to help the people understand the law and to then become better people. And, you know, well, even that picture in Luke one with mm -hmm. Zechariah, Mm -hmm. uh, at the, he was taking and doing the incense offering in the temple. And all the people are outside praying. Yes. But he is taking the incense, which represents their prayers. Yes. To the holy place, Mm -hmm. offering that, not the holy of holies, but the holy place. Right. And offering that incense up to God. So in essence, he is taking their prayers and offering them up to God. Yes. He's the go-between. Yes. And so that helped me with that picture. Now he, the only the high priest could go into the holy of holies, correct? Mm-hmm. And that exactly. was just once a year, right? And that was so he had a his role was like you know, <laughs> priest on steroids would be a, a, a poor <laughs> uh, way to put it because it was so much different. He's the one person among the priests, the ultimate of the priests, who God has chosen that can actually come into the presence of God and he can only and do not that die. once a year and not die. <laughs> right. That's right. And and he would go into the Holy of Holies where God's very presence dwelt, as it were, um, and, and would come and be. And so as he went into the Holy of Holies, he would offer sacrifice for sin for the people once a year. And of course, this was after he had already been ritually cleansed extensively so that he was able even to do this and that could only take place that one time so and i think that was a scary time for the people because they didn't know if he was going to be struck dead if he if he wasn't exactly right before him yeah the people even started you know basically uh, they did start tying a rope to the ankle of the high priest when he would go into the Holy of Holies once a year in case God killed him because of his sinfulness. Nobody else would be able to go in and get the body out if the, if the high priest were to stay in there. It for, must have happened at some point. That's what you would think. Somehow this must might have happened at some point and they like were like, what do we do? See on things. Yeah. Why is that there? Nobody can go in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so whenever we come to Hebrews and he starts talking about the high priest, these people know what it means to have a high priest who goes before you, who or goes for you before God into his presence, offers sacrifice for sin and causes you and all the other people to now at least be, oh, you know, 
okay, God's okay with me now. The high priest has done his job. At now least for this over. year, we can we can go minutes. forward with a clean right. slate for a while, maybe if I keep myself in a good good way. And so, so that's the idea. Now, what the law is going to do for us, Paul, like Paul says, the law becomes this schoolmaster, this teacher for us, a pedagogue. It show, um, teaches us what it is that God is wanting from us and by learning from it we're ju- we just get pushed closer and closer and closer to Christ because what we learn by going through this whole priesthood ideal <laughs> is that oh my goodness even the best of priests they're are going to still die. sin and they're still going to die in the end I mean even if I have a great one that I love and who has Trust. all the sincere heart and I know he's close to God even him Number one, he still has flaws. He still still got some issues. But I, but but in the most part, I really like this guy, and and I trust him to do the right thing. And he's trying with all his heart, so I'm trusting God is meeting him where he is. But he's gonna die. He right. can't stay there forever. Oh my goodness, what's the next guy gonna be like? Because we've had some bad high priests in the past. We'll probably have some more in the future. Oh my goodness, what would it be like to live with one of those? I'm not even sure God's listening to him at all. And uh, I need somebody I can be sure of in that position. Yeah, they really did have to depend on having a trustworthy high priest. Yes. And so, and that is how they would enter his, enter God's rest. Yes. And that's what chapter four starts talking about. Yeah. The need to enter his rest. Right. And so when we come to verse 14. Well, the way we do that is through a high priest. A high priest is going to help us be able to to facilitate that process for us. So now you had said before too, one of our issues with Jesus is that he's from Judah. Um, Right. Yeah. How is he going to be a high priest? He's not (laughs) even from the right tribe. You had to be a Levite. The law makes so clear you have to be a Levite if you want to be a priest. That's it. That's the only way to be a priest is to be a Levite. Now, so, so what do I do with Jesus? Now, Jesus is from Judah, which is great for me because I know the king is going to come from Judah. Yay, that's obvious. He's in the line of David. He's a Judaite. Perfect. That. That's Check. who I need. Yeah. But wait a second. If he's my high priest also, how does that even work? Because Judahites can't be priests. That's clear. It's got to be a Levite that's a priest. So what am I going to do with this guy who who I love and who I trust, but now I, I also need this high priesthood thing covered. That's why these were two different um, offices, I guess you would say. Yeah. A king and a priest. Right. There's not anybody who could do both. Right. There would never be a crossover right. because, yeah, exactly. You would have to have both lines in you and that's not going to happen. So now I get to Jesus being talked about as my high priest and a Hebrew writer is going to let me in on how this works. And it has everything to do with an understanding of Melchizedek. Melchizedek's the one who gives me a clear view now of why Jesus can be the one who fulfills all my needs as both a king and a high priest. Yes. Amazing. So, yeah, we go to chapter four was where we started hearing about Jesus as our high priest. And we even heard there that he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses in verse 15 because he was in my stead. He did walk as a human being. He did know what it's like to be tempted in every way, which is what it says. And that's the whole point of having these high priests who were 
human because yeah. they could sympathize and they went yeah. in and offered sacrifice for their own sins right as well as the people yes and so which is exactly what it's saying in right. chapter five as it continues and starts talking about the human being high priests and what they were doing and how they could sympathize because they were sinful but we still need a better high priest than them we need somebody you know what so the wonder is that jesus was human yes and could sympathize yes with with being tempted to understand what we're beset with and yet still he was holy holy perfect yeah so when it comes to chapter 5 verse 6 and it tells us so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest but was appointed by him who said to him you are my son today I have begotten you now that's a quote from Psalm 2 verse 7 and that's very much that's actually verse 5 oh okay in 2 verse 5 chapter 2 verse 5 in Psalms 5 verse oh you're telling me I'm sorry that's okay so yes we're in chapter 5 now and we have this quote in Hebrews 5, and we have a quote from Psalm 2, verse 7, which is a messianic psalm about the coming king. So our first first quote he puts in here is about the king that God has appointed. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And then he goes on immediately into verse 6. He says, as he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So he's explaining right there about being a king and a priest. Yes, he has both these quotes, puts them together and says, this is who we're looking at in Jesus. He is both king and priest. And that second quote is from Psalm 110, verse 4, the only other place where Melchizedek is brought up in the Old Testament besides Genesis 14. Now, then it talks about Jesus some more and how Jesus was in the flesh and how he made supplications and loud cries to God um, and was heard because of his reverence. And he was a son who learned obedience through suffering in that way, um, being a human being, going through what we go through and, and was made perfect in verse 9 and became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Then we finally get to verse 10, being designated by God a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He brings up this name for the first time, the Hebrew writer does, in the order of Melchizedek. That's the kind of high priest Jesus is. Okay, breaks on. Wait a second. Why are we even thinking this way? How did we go from a priesthood in Aaron and understanding a priesthood that comes through Aaron, through the Levites. And yet now you're telling me though, that Jesus is a priest in an entirely different order and a lot different line. Yeah. All we know about is this one order of priests, right? We don't know about another one and that doesn't even make sense. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't even make sense. This, this guy, we only have, this yeah. one very uh, strange reference uh, to in Genesis how 14. how is he related to the patriarchs and yeah. this line that is supposed to be? Yeah, so important yeah. to us. Yeah. So the Hebrew writer then says, now immediately in chapter 5, verse 11, right after he brings up Melchizedek's name, 
It says, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull, dull of hearing. Yeah. So he gets into this whole talk, rest of chapter five and on into chapter six of how, look, no, I'd really like it. to explain this to you, but I'm not sure you can even follow me because you're not understanding enough yet. You should be at the point, he says, where you can understand this kind of thing, but you're not there yet. It seems like you can only take milk where you should be able to take more than that. In verse, the end of verse 12, he says, you need milk, not solid food. I'd love to be able to explain this stuff to you, but I'm not sure you can follow me. And so he goes on through chapter six and into this idea of, look, you have got to hang on to, don't jump back into elementary stuff. We've got to get on to really serious matters of what it means to follow God and understand what he's done in Jesus. I think he's so excited. He's seeing the depth of all of this and he wants them to be able to get it. But yes. he's looking at their blank faces. That's or, it, yeah. You know. In essence, yeah. I mean, metaphorically, <laughs> certainly on, looking at their blank come faces. On with me. And so he's saying either if you keep jumping back to elementary stuff, you won't be able to move ahead at all and you'll wind up. He uses the words falling away. And I don't want to get into all of the, you know, possibilities of how to interpret that. But the fact is, he is saying, I'm not sure that you guys are going to hang on even to what you do have right now. It sounds like he's saying that. But then he switches for us in chapter 6, verse 9. Though we speak in this way, we, the writers, he's obviously got a group with him, just like Paul would have, you know, several people with him to helping him uh, as he's doing things. We speak in this way, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. So he's saying, okay, I know I've said that, but the truth is I have confidence in you. We have confidence have great in you. Hope. We don't think that's what you're going to do. We think you are going to be able to to grasp this stuff and to move forward with us. And so he starts talking. Now he gets back to uh, verse 13 in chapter 6 and says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had not no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself and said, Surely I will bless and multiply you. And so he's talking about now this great promise, this great uh, promise that we have and that we're holding on to these promises of God, just like Abraham held on to his promises of God. So when God does, verse 17, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purposes, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, in other words, himself, his character, and the oath that he's making. Promise. Those are the two Let's unchangeable things. Yep, the, the promise. Yep, the promise in which it's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So stay close to God. He's not, he made a promise and he's going to keep it. He's made it as sure as he can make it. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, the Holy of Holies, in other words, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become, I mean, verse 20 of chapter six, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Oh, he finally came back to the Melchizedek name. Right. Now. Now we're back. <laughs> now we're back. So now he has decided to tell me about Melchizedek. Chapter 7, verse 1. He's going to dig into this 
we're going to find out about Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, Melchizedek is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Okay. Melchizedek means, in Hebrew, king of righteousness. Wow. That's a pretty great name to have. Right. Okay. Right. So, his name itself means king of righteousness. And I love that the writer is using the meaning of name. He's, he's showing us how we can how do we, this. Another way yes. to understand the Old Testament. Hey, watch those names. Yep. They mean something. So, the, this Hebrew writer who knows his Old Testament in and out and how to use it is saying, let's look at this guy's name. Look at that. It means king of righteousness. King of righteousness. And then he says... And then he is also king of Salem. And then he interprets Salem for us. That is king of peace. All of this is in chapter 7, verse 2. So Melchizedek, king of Salem, literally means king of righteousness, king of peace. That's who this guy is. Oh, my goodness. So he's a king. He's a king and a high priest. And he's king of righteousness. And, and his king, name means King of Peace. And, or, and he's King of Peace. King of Salem really is the original place yeah. where it's This Jerusalem. is Jerusalem. Will become future Jerusalem. That's what yeah. Salem is. So here is the King of Jerusalem. Well, I love the King of Jerusalem. I'm, I'm a, you know, as a good Jew, I like to think that kings in Jerusalem are good people. Now, I know that the people who had Jerusalem before us as the Jews we, you know, they were eventually kicked out by David and, and right. they had to, you know, we had to take over that city. But that's where God wanted to put his name, his stamp of approval, right. his, his, put he his uh, temple. Jerusalem before it was. Yeah, before it turned. Jerusalem. Into, yeah, exactly. Into Jerusalem later on. So Salem, Salem is the future Jerusalem. Um, but it, here it is still Salem and it is this king who is a high priest also and is the one who dwells there and then it says in chapter 7 verse 3 he is without father or mother or genealogy having neither beginning of days nor end of life now wait a second what does he mean by that are you uh, what are you saying about this guy i don't even know how to understand you well here's where we're going the idea that in, in the Jewish mind, obviously, you have to connect. Yes, their genealogy to, was oh, huge, important. Tremendously important. Still because is. You need to, yes, still is, right? You need to connect yourself to Abraham if you want to ensure that you're truly one of God's blessed, the people that he wants to bless forever and right. use forever. You have to connect yourself to Abraham. You have to be part of Abraham's seed. So, so genealogy is extremely yes. important, and obviously. Even with Jesus, the connection back to David's life. Yes. Hugely important. And right. So... So you can see how necessary that became in their thinking to just establish that you truly are part of the line that God is wanting to bless and to use to bless the world. So that's very, very important. Now, here I have this Melchizedek figure. Well, I don't have a genealogy for him. 
He's not in any of the Genesis genealogies no, before it this. Just says so I don't, his he name, just appears, he appears out of nowhere. Out there, yeah. And then he's gone. And we never hear from him again. And we never hear from him again. We don't know. Did he have any sons? I don't know. Daughters? We don't know. I, nothing. There's nothing, nothing before him. Nothing after him. So in scripture, he floats out there like somebody who is detached from all things. That's why the Hebrew writer is here. Yeah. So the Hebrew writer says he is without father or mother or genealogy. That means, in other words, we don't know where he came from. We don't know who his mom and dad were. And so, and I also don't know when he dies. It says nothing about him dying. So it's like his life goes on. He's not, not beginning of days nor end of life, he says. It's like he's just there. But what I do know is that Jesus, uh, is that <laughs> is that Abraham gives him tithe. Right. In this, in the story in Genesis 14, he comes out and he blesses Abraham because he is a high priest of the most high God. And right. somehow Abraham knows, hey, we are serving the same God. Right. This it is high the same priest, one, yes. yes this high priest and me are on the exact same track with who we serve. And so Abraham Abraham is blessed by him because he brings out this great feast for Abraham when he returns from uh, the the battle that he's been in and, and has great victory. Melchizedek brings out this great feast of bread and wine. Oh my goodness, of course it's bread and wine. Of course it just seems so apropos for it to be bread and wine. And then and then in the process of all this, after Abraham and all of his men have partaken, Abraham turns around and gives him a tenth of the spoil. A tenth of everything. Yes, yes. a tenth of everything he has. Yes, a tenth yeah. of everything Which he has. Which is a lot, apparently. <laughs> apparently a whole lot. Yes, exactly. But, so acknowledging his But back his to this, I don't understand. Uh, I mean, that's not even he, saying about him not having end of life. Yes. Uh, but resembling the son of God. Right. He continues a priest forever. There it is. So what? So the idea being that, again, since I don't have anything in scripture about who came before or how he got born or who his parents were or anything like that, and I don't have anything after, I don't have anything telling me about what's going to happen later on for him, when he's going to die, did he have kids? In this sense, he sits in this position and becomes my picture of Jesus in the sense that, in the sense that it is like he's been forever before and gone and goes on forever after because I have no record of anything happening before or after. So there he is, kind of this eternal figure. And the reason I'm saying that is because Abraham, my goodness, gives him a tithe of everything that he has. And Abraham's our progenitor. Abraham is the one as the Jewish progenitor who is <laughs> who is kind of the pinnacle of what we strive to be like in faith and everything. And he is so He's now... He's the original patriarch yep. who God gave these promises to yep. that this would all come to be. And he's so overcome by this Melchizedek that he just gives him a tenth of everything that he had. This is obviously who I'm supposed to reach out to God through, is this high priest right here. So he gives him a tenth of everything he has. 
Now, in doing that, of course, this becomes extremely significant for the Hebrew writer who's looking at this later on and saying, look at that. Everything here seems to speak to Jesus. And it predates our Aaronic priesthood. He even says it's as if the Levites are themselves giving tithes to this great high priest through Abraham. We find that in Hebrews chapter 7 verse 9. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. The, the, his argument is that because, because the Levites were still essentially in Abraham's loins at this time. Abraham's going to have children, and we're going to, he's going to father you know, others who have children, and eventually Levi will, come, Levi will come through that line. So he's making a case that you could even say that Levites, the Levites are paying their tithes to this Melchizedek figure. So he's obviously greater than even the Aaronic or the Levite priesthood. He's greater than that because of what we're seeing here. So the beauty of all these things coming together, king of righteousness, king of peace, in essence in scripture, having been forever and living forever, because we have no record of anything else. We don't even know, but we know his superiority even to Abraham because uh, the, the writer here makes the case that the superior always blesses the inferior. And right. he's the so one we're talking about Abraham. someone who was greater than Abraham. Yes. So who we'll be talking more about this in the next podcast because yeah, we're going to have to sure. wrap it up yep. um, for this yep. one. But there's but so much more. this coming out. Yeah. Yep. So beautiful. And we'll continue with it. And this Melchizedek figure is something else. He's really a big, big piece for us. We're going to look at that, uh, be jumping into some Genesis next time too. And, uh, we look forward to doing that with y'all going to have a lot of fun seeing some more of this character for sure. So God bless you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for passing along the podcast to others. We really appreciate the time you're putting into it. And we just look forward to sharing with you some more. Have a great weekend.